1: Victor Marks show I've got a special guest I say special because he's a good brother a close friend fellow warrior I'm talking about Chad Robichaux he's former Force Recon Marine who uh, worked for the Department of Defense as a contractor for a while and you know now he's founder of Mighty Oaks Foundation this brother we have so much in common including being a Cajun Uh, writing books to hurting bad people's feelings to having a sense of justice and a passion and love for Jesus Christ, which is our thing. It's it, what enables us to, to do what we do. Let's welcome Chad Rubin show. What's up,
2: Victor. Good to be on.
1: Hey, so I'll tell people listening and watching the first time we met, you were speaking at a, a pretty big shindig. You were the keynote. And I remember sitting back going, well, that's what I normally do. And I'm pretty critical of speakers, but man, this, this dude just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I was I was so motivated. So you had a receiving line people waiting to shake your hand, take a picture and stuff, uh, whatever. And I waited in line and I got up to you and folks, this is the first question I asked him. I said, Hey, you're a Marine and all that. Do they have a height requirement? You know to shoot the guns, and it was the funniest thing because you did a double take real quick. Like I could throw punches, guy, and choke him out. I don't. He he's he's a big drink of water, but I get him. And then you quickly just went, well, I used to be taller. And i remember at that moment i'm dealing with not only a physical master this guy's a mental giant and uh we've been fast friends ever since brother
2: i have i did used to be taller i broke my neck in afghanistan and lost a uh, lost a little bit of height i had
1: well nothing fun about breaking a neck and you've you've been through so much uh but hey i i wanna i wanna ask that you said napoleon uh complex you you are short a shorter guy on the spectrum of tallness Well, did any of that uh, did you have insecurities growing up as a kid like a normal kid that propelled you like to go i'm i'm gonna do better run farther faster hit all that no i
2: don't think so you know i you know i grew up in southern louisiana where you grew up and it's kind of culturally like my family was really short so i wouldn't like to run to my family or anything like yeah grandfather was four foot ten Dad's five two, so I was like a, a towering five foot four. So I'm like,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were showing off. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think there was that, and then um, you know, like you, I started martial arts. You know, I was five years yeah. old. So you know, one of the things I love about martial arts is it gives you a sense of self confidence, and uh, that doesn't really, you know, relate to your physical stature. You kind of learn a little bit about a lot about yourself, what you're capable of, and uh, you know, the good and bad, and you kind of learn those things and. And I think you just when you really train in martial arts, and especially a lot of, for me, a lot of grappling arts, you really build like a, a strong self-confidence and a kind of belief in yourself. And then you look at other, you know, people that don't train, and you realize like, yeah, maybe that guy might call me a name, you know. But uh, you know, I know if I really would if well, that, really <laughs> really came down to it, I you know I'd be able to defend myself or take care of myself. And watching my sons grow up and seeing that, like, like watching my, because both my sons are obviously are, you know my you know they're from me so they're small and uh and they never really had to like people would call them shard and stuff like that and they never really had the need to like like prove anything yeah anything because they were like yeah whatever
1: yeah well no this is important i mean i certainly wasn't gonna touch on this but uh, there are people there are parents listening right now we got a big audience and this parents going oh or maybe a teenager or you know a, a person that still struggles with insecurity And guys, he just listed out something that has served both of us well, martial arts. There is something to know uh, that you're so comfortable in your skin. I always tell people, you gotta be good at least something and let that be your basis, you know? uh, If you're a nerd and academics is your deal, you're thinking, well, I'm smarter than that guy, no matter how big his mouth is. So listen, a couple of things I wanna talk to you about. Let's, Let's talk about what's current and on your heart right now, brother. Uh, you spent time in Afghanistan, your son spent time in Afghanistan. I mean, y'all are a warrior lineage family. Your dad was a warrior. So the decisions that were made by the current administration to pull everything out and not provide anything for those who served alongside of our troops, like yourself in Afghanistan, uh, you've got something near and dear to your heart, someone you care about that. You're actually trying to get he and his family out. Would you tell? My audience about that
2: yeah well yeah first of all like like you said you know my uh my family my dad was marine i was marine both my sons are marines uh my oldest son did a deployment in afghanistan and then before me before him going to afghanistan you know i did eight deployments to afghanistan wow uh, and you know during my time in afghanistan like many of our service members, we relied, you know, on, on the local nationals, on the Afghans that worked with us, particularly, you know, being in, me being in special operations as a, I, I did clan log for my unit. So I was doing advanced force lo- logistics, going ahead of my unit, and living with the Afghans and putting our assaulters on target. That it requires, you know, requires me living in these people's home and eating dinner with their families and playing soccer with the kids and building real close relationships. And there's a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of them that I worked with, uh particularly, but this this one individual, uh and when I say there's a lot of them I worked with, you know, part of my loss is, you know, I lost 15 guys in Afghanistan, 10 of them were Afghans, and I consider them right there with mm. uh, the other five Americans. And you know, a lot of American service members may not agree with me on that. But these are these are my brothers. Like I love these guys. You know, they would have died for me. I would have died for them. In fact I do believe they did die for me. And but of those the most significant one and I won't say his real name, I'll just say yeah. I'll, Bashir, for example, because I used it. I changed his name to Bashir in my book. Okay. So I'll say Bashir, but Bashir did eight deployments with me. Uh, he, on top of serving wow. with, with me in wow. JSOC at the premier, at the, I won't say the name of it, the premier special operations unit we were together at. I mean, this guy was vetted, polygraphed on a regular basis. He did about 20 years total working with special operations. He is an American hero. Like, mm. this guy, like, saved my life multiple times. He saved the lives of my friends multiple times. Uh, I remember one night we were in the middle of the night. Uh, we got a call that four SEALs were stuck. They had got stuck in this Taliban-infested village, and they couldn't really get out without being compromised. So they were stuck there. And, and uh, they, you know, the people were talking, like, how do we get them out? Do we send in a QRF? When we send a QRF, QRF that, one, the mission's compromised, and two, people are going to die. Uh, you know, you, you get in a gunfight, you, you kind of least Chris scenario. And uh, he's he's the Afghan. He steps up and says, I could get him out. And he put himself in personal risk. Me, he took me mm. and one other te- uh, two other teammates, and the four of us drove in the middle of the night. He drove us right in the middle of that village, and we got him out in a clandestine kind of fashion. And, uh, I mean, he put himself so many times, this guy put his, put his life he's a He's an American hero, and he's not American. And so yeah. I, I, I just want to tell you that to give a picture of.
1: That's good context for people.
2: Yeah, this, he's an example of thousands of these guys. We've mm. had 18,000. Afghans embedded with us and about 80,000 that served with us. And there was 20, uh, about 20,000 special immigrant visas that we had uh, had available. Um, it, it was called the um, right right now. What's what's being what's being referred to as uh, S.I.V. 602B. And the reason I bring that up is the Afghan Allies Protection Act. So you could take, if anybody's listening, you could call it call your congressman. Let them know about it. But yeah. what what happened was we had these twenty plus you know twenty plus thousand visas, not enough of the eighty thousand uh, plus that we had served with us. But um, but none of these guys uh, visas packages were getting approved. I mean, the State Department is just it's just a mess. There's a pill Ugh. None of them are getting approved. And now the White House announces, hey, we're going to pull out and we're leaving in September. Which I don't know why you ever announce a withdrawal date because it just lets the enemy know when you're withdrawing. So we announced this withdrawal. Everybody believes we should leave Afghanistan, including me. I believe we should do it strategically differently. I don't think we should abandon Bagram Air Base. Uh, it's a stronghold in the middle of Iran, China, right. Russia, like, Iraq. Like, it's a stronghold in the Middle East. Uh, I don't think – but I don't think we should be continuing to police Afghanistan anymore. Nonetheless, if we're going to leave, you have to leave correctly, and we can't leave our allies behind. This is a, a humanitarian crisis that we've created. I mean, these are people that serve just like my buddy – who served bravely amongst shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with us and fought shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with us. And we're leaving without a plan to get them out. And, and all the propaganda in the media right now, I don't call it propaganda because that's what it is. It's is yeah. back and forth on both sides. Conservative, I mean, both sides. It's back and forth, back and forth. They, they, that has clouded the story so much you can't know what's really going on by watching the news. And what's really going on is you the White House saying that we're helping and they're not because you talk to any Afghan on the ground there, and the embassy has been closed since the beginning of June due to COVID. So they can't apply. There's no way out. Mm. And, and, and people are panicking because the Taliban are taking over provinces. They're kill- they just killed uh, 20-something. They rounded up and killed 20-something Afghan special forces that were working with us. They just uh, tracked down a guy just outside of Kabul that was, that was trying to get out, saying his life was in danger. They pulled them over and cut his head off. I mean they're, they're killing these guys, and the, they're uh, starting to rat on each other because they're scared. So my guy, for example, his brother told the Taliban, hey, he's been working with special operations for the last 20 years. Oh. And So now what? he's on the run, moving around, moving his wife and his six kids around, trying to be on the run. And uh, we're trying to get his, his visa, and it's just not happening. And, uh, and I know a lot of people in Congress, and his visa is just not happening because the State Department won't do it. And so me and uh, all of my teammates, we raised about $80,000. Mm. And, uh, which is about what we need to pull it off. And we're going we're gonna to move him and his family out of the country, uh, get him to a safe place so where they can have access to embassy. And then Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, uh, who's an amazing lady in Congress, she wants he, once we move him safely, then we, uh, we're, she's going to help us with his visa and that end. But, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a tragedy that we have to take this in our own hands, spend our own money, which I don't mind doing, uh, to get him and his family out. I mean, he saved my life, so I'm, I have no problem right. But the government should be doing it. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's no there's no reason for them not to. This is a pro-immigration administration. We letting tens of thousands of people across the southern border. We don't even know who they are. Yeah. Why can't we help these guys?
1: I agree. I agree with you hundred percent. And explain to, to people listening right now, maybe it's a there's a mom in her kitchen listening that says, I don't really understand the whole Afghanistan, the Taliban and or explain to them why this is happening and why the danger is so real.
2: Well, I mean, the Taliban is the, you know, is Islamic jihadists, the, the religious fanatics, which, you know, you and I know there's different levels of, of, of Islam. I You know, if people really understand what Islam is, it's all a fanatical uh, religion that says either I'm going to convert or kill uh, anyone that doesn't believe what I believe. Uh, so these are the ones that have really bought into it, understand what Islam's called what action islam is called to do and they're executing on it and uh and and you know part of that back in september 11th is when you know we had our our twin towers attacked and when the twin towers were attacked a lot of people don't know the history on it when the twin towers were attacked uh bin laden brilliantly knew hey we're gonna attack the twin towers we're gonna and uh and when that happens america is going to come after me and the taliban and when they do they're going to need allies and who's the best ally Ahmad Massoud. Ahmad Massoud. Ahmad Massoud was the leader of the Northern Alliance, the Mujahideen of Afghanistan. These are the people we helped fight. We helped fight the Russians. Yep. Had close relationships with them. The CIA still had close relationships with them. And so he's the leader, kind of the iconic figure. And so the day before 9-11, bin Laden had him assassinated. Mm. It fractured the, the Northern Alliance. And so our allies that we would be going to was fractured. Many of them jumped to the Taliban because they're in survival mode. And right. so he, you know, Bin Laden brilliantly did this, but there were some, some brave Afghans that chose mm. to stand against the Taliban to fight for the freedoms of keeping this ideology out of Afghanistan. They chose to fight for that and they chose to align with us. And so for the last 20 years, we have been in Afghanistan, locked arms with local Afghans in fighting the Taliban and keeping that ideology out of Kabul, mm. uh, keeping the jihadists from attacking people in Afghanistan, killing people that don't believe the way they do in Afghanistan, and also keeping them from bringing it home to the United States and and, uh, attacking Americans uh, abroad and and here on our home soil. And so this is what we've been doing for the last 20 years. Personally, I believe we've been there too long in the sense that we went there to do a mission, which was to retaliate for 9-11, capture and kill those responsible. We accomplished that mission, by the way. Uh, I heard just recently that White House Press Secretary Saki said, you know, we're not going to see military victory. Well, she can speak for herself because we did receive. We we got the people responsible for nine eleven. Uh, the problem wasn't the military. The military succeeded. The problem was politicians that kept mission creep. Mission creep. Now there's probably lobbyists saying, "Hey, we need to stay there because we're making a lot of money." And over the last twenty years, we stayed longer than we should have, and we became a policing organization for Afghanistan and uh, and not a support advisory role that we should have with the Afghan National Army. Um, nonetheless, I'm not the president. I'm not the commander in chief, but. We should have been out there a long time ago so i'm not saying we should leave i'm saying that if we are going to leave we can't do what unfortunately america has done for far too long is we go yeah. into a foreign place we win a battle and then we leave our our local nationals behind We right. in Vietnam, and yep. uh, we left us we left those south vietnamese under the difference in vietnam is those south vietnamese ended up going to re-education camps the taliban doesn't do re-education camps they're going to kill them and make an example of them uh we did it in iraq the first Gulf War, and we did it a, when, when President Obama pulled out, pulled out of Iraq the second time and yep. uh, left Al-Assad Air Base. We left our, our Iraqi, uh, local Iraqis that were, that fought alongside of us there. We left all of our equipment there, and that ended up in the hands of ISIS. And, we, and here we are doing it again. Not only are we leaving our Afghans behind, when we left Bagram Air Force Base, we left mechanized vehicles, weapons. We left helicopters, Apache yeah. and Black Hawk helicopters. We left all that stuff there, and uh, that's all going to end up in the hands of Taliban.
1: Right. You know, there's there's a valid complaint of what you just explained, and people have a hard time understanding that there's a time and place for us to use the force needed to stop bad guys. And killing bad guys is not that hard. We just should kill the right ones and then support either the new government Uh, but really support them, not just use them and then get out because we've been in the same position. I I was just in, gosh, I was just in Baghdad four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, and we never even made it to the green zone. We, we see it out and it is, uh, when we took out the general, the Iranian general with the militia Soleimani, there's actually the things that kind of struck me. Chad was this huge billboards with his picture. And it says, we will never forget the blood of our mortars. And here we are, we're, we're probably the only Americans driving around outside that green zone. And it was, it was gnarly, but the people are good. That's what I want people to understand. Don't, when you talk about Afghans and the generally the people are good. It's just corrupt leadership or. Uh, this radical factions that now represent all the rest and we don't help them. The ones who are good.
2: Americans are very misinformed in general. I hate to speak stereotypically of our, of my,
1: you know, it's true though,
2: but it's true. I mean, I, I have so many people that think that think for the last 20 years, we've been, we've been at war with Afghanistan.
1: Right, right.
2: We're not at war with Afghanistan. We're, we went there to, we went in Afghanistan with partnership in partnership with the country of Afghanistan to eradicate the Taliban, right. uh, for U.S. interests and Afghan interests. We're allies of the, of Afghanistan. That's and uh, so people are just so confused, and then a lot of people also uh, misunderstand or or merge together Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. Why did we go there in the first place? Well, you're talking about Iraq or Afghanistan? Because Iraq, you know, I probably can't answer that too well myself. Like I don't know. Uh, you know. What I, I believe there are weapon ma- weapons mass destructions. The motivation behind us going there, I don't know. But Afghanistan, we belonged going to Afghanistan. We, as America, we did the right. We responded to attack on our soil. We went to Afghanistan. We did what we were supposed to do. Uh, they're not the same thing. So people have really underst- kind of merged those two, Iraq, Afghanistan, together, and uh, and then you know, I think Americans in general just don't really understand, you know. Uh, you know, what we do in these wars, they're not educated. The news media is right. hijacked by political, uh, just nonsense. And, uh, you know, and so how do you really find out without, you gotta, gotta educate yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, help people to understand, uh, as a, as a combat veteran who's in the special operations community, what, what do some of our military folks feel when they see the pull out and what's happening? Wh- what, what did they actually feel inside?
2: Well, I think a huge sense of betrayal of uh, kind of a confusion of, man, was my sacrifice worth it? I remember when we, uh, I remember watching Ramadi fall again after, you know, we pulled out of 2000, you know, uh, I can't remember the year, but we pulled, when, we pulled out of uh, Al Assad Air, Air Base. And then after that, you see Ramadi fall. And, and so, you know, I know the Marines like fought tooth and nail for, you know, weeks to, to take Ramadi and, Lost, lost. So many Americans take Ramadi and you see something like that just be given back. Uh, after we work so hard to be given back because of you know politics, it's just uh, you know. I mean, you. I mean, imagine losing your best friend in combat, and then mm. you see you know, what they fought for. You see, just giving back, like right. And that's where we're at in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan right now. I mean, military service members are not politicians. But nonetheless, they're going to have feelings when they go and fight for something and willing to give their life for something. And yeah. uh, you, tr- you took a military that went there to retaliate for 9-11 and he you transitioned their mission to be a peacekeeping force in Afghanistan and uh, and to help train the Afghan National Army and the Afghan uh, the, the LNP, the Afghan uh, Law Enforcement Program. I think that's what, what the acronym is for this. But uh, you know, the, the Afghan Law Enforcement. They train those two entities to be able to defend themselves. And through that process, we've you know, we've taken like some really tough places, like Kandahar and Helmand Province, and all those, all these like places that, you know, we fought really hard for, and then to watch them start to fall because they're starting to fall right now. I mean, Herat was just taken. I mean, this is, like the second biggest city next to Kabul, like, and you see the and you see the Taliban just coming in taking these places back, and these are places that you know we our friends have given their lives to to secure,
1: for,
2: yeah. You know, and uh, and so it's it's tough to watch it happen, but it still hurts.
1: Yes, and I, th- I, I think that's the point. It hurts. Those of you who know veterans who serve in Afghanistan, beware, because you'll start seeing they'll have a you know, they have a piss poor attitude about things. They may be snippy, they may be agitated. And give them some grace. Ask them how they're feeling. Just say, you know, man, how's this making you feel? Let let them express, yeah, I'm mad, I'm mad. Mad as hell. This is people, good people are now dying. And it would be like the city you're from. Wherever you are, or the village you're listening to, that being overtaken by the cartel or MS-13 gangs coming in and just start killing any leadership, teachers, women—they're taking full control again. We went through this when we were in Iraq with ISIS. You get so conflicted. I mean, we were there and going, "Why doesn't the U.S. just step in and stop this? We have the firepower." And Obama was—you know—he was still president at the time, and. I mean, huge cities were being taken over and we saw firsthand as ATP ministries and the work that we're doing there, the horrific tragedies, people, I, and just death and murder. So those who served in those regions know what's happening, pray for them, ask them how they're doing.
2: I mean, I'll give you one example of uh, a in Afghanistan, 2011, probably one of the most horrific deployments I, I i'm aware of third battalion fifth marines dark horse amazing uh, guys there and uh and in seven months seven months they had 21 this is one marine corps company had 21 marines killed over 70 amputees in, in seven months i mean they uh they were moving to try to retake a forward operating base that the british had lost and and they were they couldn't use the streets because the streets were so ied They'd have to blow holes through the houses and they were moving. And, and uh, the Marines that, you know, that were there say that, you know, if you, if you were standing in the Marine in front of you's footprints because you didn't want to step in IED, and if you took an ambush from the Taliban and they started firing gun, gunfire at you, you, would, you were better off to stay standing where you were than to run for cover because of the level of IEDs there. Uh-huh. And footprint by footprint, these Marines uh, went and retook that forward operating base. Mm. something you, you you know that kind of price to pay to capture a piece of ground right to make it secure for a people that we don't even know but we you know it's humans doing it for other humans right not not a you doing it for your fellow countrymen it's humans doing it for other humans yeah see those things that you're talking about seeing and then to see a, a government that you have no control over make a hasty decision to all oh, that's just to fall apart there's a way we could have left Afghanistan strategically and it not collapse the way it's going to collapse.
1: Yeah, I have I've sat across from think tank members that I was stunned at some of the responses they gave me. And I'm going to tell, I'll tell people the story that shocked me the most, but we're, we're down for time right now. This has gone fast. This is so informative. This is bringing people up to speed. And, and this has been good. Could we, could you hang out for a little bit longer? We'll do another program.
2: Yeah, let's
1: do it. Okay, good. Folks, you've been listening to my buddy, Chad Robichaux. He is founder and president of Mighty Oaks, uh, uh, Served in the Marine Corps, Force Recon, MMA champion, uh, fourth degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is no small thing. This guy is, he's just got integrity all day long, not willing to compromise for anything. And he and I have been through some, tough times together where we know what's real and what's not so he's going to join us again tomorrow so stay tuned please come back we're going to talk about the ministry that he runs how he helps uh veterans and an active duty and his book that's out is going to be turned into a movie uh so come back and visit us tomorrow hey wherever you are whatever you're doing we so appreciate you taking time to spend with us and uh may god bless you if you're If you're one of those veterans feeling the ache and the pain of this going on in Afghanistan, may the Lord comfort you and know you did your mission. We can't control anything outside of that. So God bless you. Whatever you're doing again, do it for the glory of God. Now go get it done.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.